We are The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. Welcome to today's pep talk, where we'll take just 20 minutes to interview leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how, insights and life lessons. To hear these incredible insights, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can simply visit thepurposefulproject.com, sign up to our mailing list and get the podcast in your inbox every single week. Hey Alana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Would you mind starting off by telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I am Alana. I'm the co-founder of Motley. And we are a challenger brand in the jewellery space um, with a simple vision to make great design affordable for everyone. How do we do it? We've ripped up the supply chain models of the current industry and have built a new one, the Motley model, where we get the most talented designers to design for us. And then we make their stuff in affordable metals. How did you come up with this idea? What what uh, spurred you to create Motley? So myself and my co-founder, we actually met back at university and she ended up going into the art world. After a stint at Christie's, she was the director of a very niche gallery where artists would collaborate to make limited editions of jewellery and sell it to art collectors for thousands of pounds. And it was there she noticed two things. First of all, how uniquely difficult the lot of a jewellery designer is. Because unlike an artist, there's no gallery to handle your commercial work. You're expected to either build your own brand, which takes capital, or to go and work for someone else and you can't be a creative. But as a result, this meant that the best designers just didn't, weren't able to sell in an affordable way. At the same time, all her friends were saying, this, you know, this design stuff is so great. You know, why can we get access to it? And the answer was, because of the industry structures, you can't. So she thought, how do you get the best design at an affordable price? You get people to do what they do best. You get the designers to do the design. And then we take all the extra hassle away from them. We handle the manufacture. We, we run the brand. We run the marketing. And that's how you get these amazing products that are properly made and affordably priced. Such a good idea. When you hear these ideas, you always wonder why it wasn't already done. But um, great that you've done it. So how did you get involved? Did, did, uh, how, did, how did you get, get, end up being active in the company? Absolutely. I um, so As I said, Cecily and I have been met friends for many years and um, I had a very different career background. I was the management consultant and then I worked for a bunch of consumer retail brands, the likes of Argos, Innocent and Itsu. And I actually just got made redundant, which is how so many great um, founder stories start, was helping Cecily out with her business plan and thought, this is a really interesting business idea. A, because I really want the product. I, I, you know, I see myself as that customer that's just not being served. But also, just from a business perspective, how truly scalable the model was. And I think that was a bit that excited me. So we started working together um, in 2018, launched the business um, in October of that year. And since then, they've been around for about two and a half years. It's a really interesting business model, exciting to see. I know we, um, we've talked off camera before about like um, female founder uh, culture. And do you want to talk a little bit about your feelings about being a female founder and what that experience has been like building a business? Yeah, I think in the early stages, it was the most shockingly hard because actually the angel route, how most early stage businesses get investment, is the most unregulated. So we would hear 
you know, quite shocking comments like, what do your boyfriends think of this um, on a not irregular basis? I think the other challenge we were up against is is the market that we're in. And I think jewellery just was not taken seriously um, because for so many it is what they call a hobby industry um, and, and their associations, their wives or their daughters um, had maybe, you know, decided to start selling jewellery on Etsy. Actually, we're now saying, you know, this is a multi-billion pound industry that has not been disrupted yet and we're doing something fundamentally different. I think that was something else um, that they really that they really struggled with. Um, as we started to get into the more of the institutional space, uh, we definitely found that less. But one thing that we noticed is how often um, few women were in the, the people that we were pitching to. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big problem, isn't it? And I think, um, I mean, it shocks me to hear that people would ask you, "What do your boyfriends think?" That's just shocking, isn't it? That that's that in this day and age, those sorts those are the sorts of questions that you get asked. But, I mean, you, you talk about culture. I know um, how how did you manage to build up your company culture? What was your strategy around that? I think any good company culture has to resonate with what the product stands for. So for us, our whole concept of Motley is all about collaboration. You know, we collaborate with designers to work, to create better things. We collaborate with suppliers to create better things. And so that always had to be core to what we stood for. Um, bravery has always been one of our values. Like we have always been an underdog, um, you know, fighting against kind of like a, quite a lot of um, pre-held assumptions about the industry and really trying to do it differently from everyone else is out there. And so we encourage everyone that works with us to be brave, whatever that means to them. And then the finding is creativity. And that's not just um, artistic creativity, but really looking at the challenges that we face and thinking, how can you solve them in a, in a different and in a creative manner? I was just saying, I'm just looking at your, you know, you mentioned earlier, some of the brands you work with, like Innocent, Itsu, some of these amazing brands with amazing culture. Do, do you think, um, did you take a lot from their their path or did you was it all recreated from scratch when you built the business yourself no i have to say that innocent really shaped me in the concept of how you really embed um what you say to your customers and how you behave to your employees and um it really helped me show what a value-led company um looks like but actually a lot of it is taking on the spin of motley and i think what's really exciting about the values is that there's so much more than Cecily and myself as co-founders. Um, they, they kind of exist in their own entity and they're not organic. You know, you have to work, like any good relationship, you have to work really hard to maintain and to embed those values and to hire based on those values. Um, so I think I was, I, I came from like a great grounding in understanding how to do values well. Um, but then I think we've made, uh, at Motley, we've made them our own. Can you remember the first hire? Remember that whole that that's always the most difficult one for me anyway, the first hire. So actually it was even before a hire, um, we had an intern called Charlotte and I remember her helping at our kitchen table, um, you know, the, the sample packaging before our website was even live. And uh, the wonderful thing, Charlotte was a third year um, student at Edinburgh at the time. After she graduated, she came and joined us um, and um, just became a totally brilliant operations exec um, and, you know, shot her way up the career path. And I think that, 
is a really it, it's exciting um, to have someone so early involved in the journey. But one thing I would say about hiring for startups is the needs of the business change so quickly. Um, it's it's really challenging. I think the other thing, and I took for granted coming from large businesses, is all the people that you have to support you run a really good hiring process. And um, without an HR team, actually making sure that you run a process that's really positive for the candidate and um, make sure that you hire um, from really strong range of backgrounds, you've got to work really hard at it. Mm, I think there's some really important points you're highlighting here. I mean, I, I've also felt fell into this trap of in the early days you hire specialists but when you're still a generalist structure so so people find that quite hard because they they maybe they want their particular silo to focus in on that one particular silo so but yeah i, I think that first hire as well I, I found it quite emotional i remember when my first hire left the company you know i cried you know like that you get really attached to those early day folks right it's uh it, so i can i can tell the love you have for charlotte by the way so if charlotte's <laughs> listening um you know and, and, and I, it. yeah, and I, and I actually, I, without going too far on this, but I, I can honestly personally t- say that my own experience has been that first hire can often determine whether or not the company works, because that person, if they're excited about the brand and the mission, and everybody else they come in contact with thereafter, uh, get infected by the, the the brand and the mission. But if that person isn't genuine in that love for the brand and the mission, it can also have the opposite effect. So it's such a it's such a crucial thing. But you have to be brave to use one of your words. You equally, you have to be brave, right? It's um. It's never easy hiring totally. people. It's never, never and I think easy. the challenge you have in an early stage startup is that you need people that can be both operational and strategic at the same time. Mm. And um, finding people that can move between the two of them and play a much more senior role, it's just a, it's a huge ask. And we're so much better now at hiring for startup fit because I think a lot of people think they want to join startups. They think I'll get more autonomy, I'll be able to influence stuff. But actually true autonomy is scary um, and a lot of responsibility and you fail all the time. So you have to get really comfortable with failing and being bad at stuff and learning from it no it's it's true it's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting conversation I've, I'm, I'm, I've i've had many conversations with people when they first start how they want equity and i'm like this company's losing money every month you want you want equity and you want the responsibility <laughs> of losing money every month you know so it is a very different uh mindset but but equally when you hire in the early days you need people that do actually see themselves as as i guess part of the founding team um, and believe, you know, in, in uh, putting the same amount of effort in, and it's not about that serious structure. But like you say, with that power comes a lot of responsibility because it is overwhelming, right? Did, through your journey, have you ever, you know, because this, this really uh, is your first company, I guess, right? I mean, from, from you've done a lot of amazing things, but as a business, was there ever a moment you're like, wow, this is too much? Or have you always just like, no way, I'm always going to do it? All, all the time. All the time. You constantly go through this phase as you look at like the mountain ahead and you're like, oh, I can't do that. And then you just you just have to start walking up the mountain and then you look back down and you're like, wow, I've climbed so far. Um, I don't, I, I know now quite a lot of founders and I think there's definitely a founder type. Um, I think my co-founder is that founder type. I'm, I'm a bit more unusual. I'd say I'm a little bit more conservative um, than traditional founder, maybe even a bit more pessimistic. Um, and a bit of a realist and I think that is why we actually work together really well Um, but I am definitely deal like very early days I definitely had deep imposter syndrome for a really long time and um, I think it took me a while to shake that off 
Yeah, well, um, first of all, thanks for your honesty. And, and to be honest, I have exactly the same feeling. I still feel like an imposter, even though I, I have actually built companies and, and done quite well. But I still feel like, am I, I'm not an Elon Musk, you know, I haven't put, I'm not, I've got no business taking people to Mars yet, you know. So you definitely always have that. But I think recognizing it's there and, 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 and also learning to kind of come to terms with it is a really interesting point. I think the other thing you're mentioning here that I think people maybe need to pick up on is, is that kind of concept that, that you you're always going to have doubts you know like i think i think uh, it's it's i think a lot of people that want to start a business they're having doubts so they don't do it but even when you study you will always have doubts but that, that's part of the excitement of it too isn't it the fact that you know yeah. you, you, you don't it's all a bit unguaranteed you know it's that's the excitement part that's the exciting part of it totally and the things that you think are total catastrophes are often resolvable so we had all our launch stock we discovered and that our suppliers had been underplating it and underplating it seriously and this is an issue for us because our whole pitch is about quality and we realized that it was basically like commercial flash plating the gold would have come off on a rub and so I remember thinking, you know, the business is over. Like we've promised this thing. These are all our first customers. Like we're totally screwed. We went out to every single customer and it had completely the opposite effect. They were like, we love your honesty. And um, thank you so much for caring about quality. It allowed us to engage with them. And I think that was such a good lesson for me and that the things that you think are gonna totally destroy you actually can be a huge opportunity for good. I, I just got shivers, by the way, uh, from that statement because anyone that's it's so the the if you can be honest with your customers in moments like that, that's when you build that. I think people don't realize that starting businesses that the the hard times are when you actually form the relationship with a customer. The good times, everyone can have a good relationship with the customer. When the when it hit when the shit hits the fan, hopefully I don't get blocked on Spotify for saying that. You know, there is a the, 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 you know we, we we that's when you build a real relationship with customers, right? I mean, that's such an important point you're making there. And 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 equally, I, I couldn't agree more that sometimes what you perceive as the worst moment in the business can end up being what actually makes you better and stronger, right? So, such a good insight there. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, looking back at the business, was it would there be anything that you've done that you do different? Oh, yeah, loads of things. Um, I think the biggest thing for us, and it's always just so hard raising money, um, but I think bringing in more people earlier to do the stuff that we weren't good at. Um, Cecily and I are both generalists, and I actually, that can be a good thing, but it can also have a downside because you carry on doing stuff that you're okay at, but not brilliant at for too long. And I, th I wish there are certain um, skill sets that we're bringing into the business now and I've just hired some super talented people in the brand space, um, in the technology space. Um, but my only re regret is that I wish that I brought them in sooner. Everything else, every mess up, every, you know, what one could call a fail has been a really great learning experience. And I think it's made us better as founders and better as a business. I guess um, it, it's a sentiment I share as well, uh, but bringing people in as soon as you can. I guess there's always that cash flow kind of concern, right? So, you know, bringing senior people in requires serious money. So, so you know, how have you managed to do that? Did you raise money first and then, or did you see the business was working and then do it? Did you, how did you get that balance right? Yeah, so we needed to raise money because we have a stock-based business um, and have raised a series of, of rounds. And, and, and just reflecting on what you said, you know, grass is always greener. Um, I remember there was a founder in, in the community of founders I'm a part of that, that, that raised 
a really interesting thread about messing up a bunch of senior hires. So raised a lot of money, brought in a lot of senior people and had loads of issues with that as well. And so, you know, maybe reflecting on, you know, regrets that you have, actually grass is always greener. Um, and, you know, if we brought in more people and hired more senior, would we have hired the right people? Would we have actually moved the needle? Um, I think you just don't know. But yeah, we've raised money before and I'd say that's definitely the worst part of running a business um, because you expose yourself to such intense rejection on such a frequent basis. Like nowhere else, you know, um, really a business is like, it's frequent affirmation from your customers, but it's authentic. The most common term used by investors is conviction. And that word comes from the word convince. It's like, did you convince me that you were worthwhile? And I think going through that process every time can be quite soul destroying. So I'd say like, yeah, the, the, the constant uh, seeking of finance is probably the most challenging thing as founder. Yeah, but and I again, I, I can resonate with this point. I, I hate raising money. I hate asking people for money. I mean, I, I, I just the whole concept just doesn't work for me. Uh, but having said that, it's very important for some businesses, especially businesses like yours. You have a stock base. You know, you, to scale up, you you need to raise money. It's a real difficult one. But again, maybe it's back to your point earlier, bringing in people that love to do it. There are actually people that love to do it. Um, and letting them do it right it's uh, but it is it is not an easy one and I think you know definitely getting the right investors on board is also important and sounds like you had a good screening process by some of the stupid questions that people might ask you but but, um, well, it's actually very interesting. Uh, thinking back to our seed round, so we have two venture capital funds um, on our cap table, and I remember the conversations with them as having a completely different tone to some of the other funds we talked with. It was genuine. I felt even in those meetings, rather than them evaluating whether we were good enough, it was us having interesting business discussions about the challenges our business faced, and the tone of the conversations just felt so different. Um, and I think you know before. Beforehand, everyone said, oh, yeah, you know, you need to find the right investors. And in the early days, you're like, if anyone gives us money, I'll be grateful. And you realize that there kind of is a matchmaking process. And actually, it, it does it does work itself out. Um, and I think that was very interesting learning as well. But I think that's very important for my listeners to pick up on this this insight you're sharing here and, and make sure they, they grasp it. Because um, I think raising money is part of what everyone thinks is the answer. It's not always the answer uh, to, to starting a business. Sometimes you can get a business quite far down the line without any money. But I think when you're raising the money, you, I think it's really interesting. When you're talking to people and they're offering, I guess, support, advice, brainstorming with you. You know, those are the sorts of people you want involved in the business. If people are grilling you about, are oh, these numbers real? Or can you really do it? Then there's a part of you that's also like, well, you know, without the right investors, no, we can't do it. We all need help, right? So that's an interesting insight. I think a lot of people, like you say, when, they, when they're thinking of starting a business, like my audience are thinking of starting a business, they might just think, go raise money from anywhere you can. But hopefully... Um, I want to say you got lucky with learning that because you, you, you sounds like your early investors were like that. But a lot of people might just go out there and meet someone and say, here's the money, only to find out later that they, they want the money out quickly or they're, they're just about turnover right, or control. So, yeah, great insight. Yeah. I got really wise advice again from another founder, which was like, you don't know what is a good decision and what is a bad decision. And actually, I do know people that have taken the wrong money and it has really damaged their business um, because of the type of person involved. Um, and I think you're totally right. If someone is saying to you, prove to me how you can do this, they're a good fit. But if, if you're like, I don't think you can prove me wrong, it's probably not the right fit. Mm. 
Yeah. And the other thing about this, which I think is fascinating, uh, and maybe you and I could probably just chat about this for hours. So, uh, but I love the I love the point about like when I when I when people ask you about your ideas, sometimes I think the wrong investors will tell you, oh, why don't you do this idea instead of that idea? And and then, but there's a very thin line between like someone having a good suggestion and someone just totally not getting your idea, right? Wanting to completely change the model. But you must have had that many times, right? Many people say, well, why don't you try? You know, what instead of carrying stock, why don't you do the drop shipping model, right? I'm sure that sort of things happen to you a million times and and what's really interesting is how they are they listening to the answer so are they saying have you genuinely considered it and then they hear or are they just trying to get a point across right. and a really interesting example for us in this current fundraise we're fundraising at the moment is um we are getting directly opposing views on something. So we believe our model is is fit for kind of any category in the decorative arts. We want to expand into ceramics. We see it as a very kind of natural fit. And it's been really interesting that, you know, some people who have not been interested in us have said, I just think jewellery jewelry is too niche. And then some people have said, you know, your multi-category multi approach is unfocused and you need to focus on jewellery. And those are like big funds. This is not like different types of funds. These are like competitive to fund in the same space having diametrically opposed ideas and i think at that point you just have to hold true to what you believe in well yeah there's another great point you're making there i think sometimes you have to go in believing in your model otherwise they will change your mind <laughs> and uh and and quite often those plat those those investment uh they have their own thesis right so they have their own their own belief so if you go in there unfocused and sometimes they're also testing you right i mean it's like will, will you change your model because of what they said oh you don't believe in your model anymore so you got you got to go in there i think believing in it right which is why sometimes raising money a bit later down the line is a good idea when you absolutely know in your own mind right um, but again a lot of people want to raise money straight off the bat but how, how long did you um start the business before you raised money was did you kick it off raising money or yeah, so Cecily um, started it in September 2017 and it was working without a salary really for the best part of nine months. Um, and I think this is a really important point to make. So both Cecily and I, put um, we needed to put our own money in to get a proof of concept to get people to invest. And there is so much conversation around, you know, why there's so few female founders, why there's so few minority ethnic founders. And... The fundamental answer is uh, there is a kind of a kudos around, oh, yeah, I didn't work for a year and I just worked. I put all my money into the own, into the business. That is a certain type of profile who can afford to work for the year and put all their money into the business. I remember um, in the Mark Benioff Salesforce book, he was like, yeah, I took six months out of Cisco and put three million of the cash, you know, my personal cash in. And I think that if we really want to level up the playing field for founders, we have to look at how, A, this concept of needing to have a proof of concept first and how do we fund that early stage stuff to really rebalance the playing fields? Because otherwise you would just continue to have have you know former white male management consultants yeah i uh, i couldn't agree more my wife's just started a business and uh, it's been interesting just kind of almost like um she's had a few comments like where's the adult supervision almost like 
what? And like it's uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy, and so and uh, it, it's it's fascinating to me to just see what's happening. And, and as a man in in this uh, marketplace, I guess I'm also I see the other side of the table. I mean, when I without going off track, I, when I when I decided to take time out and spend time with my son and actually be a present father, full time father, a lot of my uh, male friends were like, "Well, you don't want to do that. That's kind of what your wife should be doing, right? That's that's then better at it. Then she's natural at it. You know, your son won't even care you are not there for the first three years I'm like and it had, I couldn't have had a more opposite experience you know I couldn't I, I being there for my son has been amazing and actually but it'd be shocked me in my in the male community how it was like just go to work you know and uh, you know, yeah and, and I think again in that sense and, and in hiring I think you know how we treat men in paternity leave is so important for like female equality well, totally. you know if you, you can't say that you have this like pro-women agenda if the paternity leave that you give your men is two weeks totally. so um, I think that is I think that's definitely something to consider yeah it's, it's I, I've actually personally uh, changed this in all the businesses I'm involved in uh, since having a child myself and wanting to be a present father it was ridiculous to think two weeks and then I go back to work and my wife does all, all of it on her own first of all I'm missing out selfishly Sec- secondly it's not fair on her to do it all on her own so we you know it's it, so it, but it does there are some interesting things there aren't there so definitely some things that you know both, both sides of the equation but I, but I was shocked by the my, 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 my friends. These are friends. Yeah. These people I, I actually respect saying this to me, you know, and, and so it doesn't help uh, balance things out. But but thank you for doing what you're doing and thank you for um, the amazing uh, business that you're creating to help uh, these creative folks out there. And I love what you're doing and I'm, I'm a big fan and I want to thank you for taking time out to come and share with us a little bit about what you're up to and what you think. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Simon. It's been great to join you. Hopefully we'll have you back on very soon. Take care. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Pep Talk today, powered by The Purposeful Project. If you found it interesting, please give us a review and follow us. In addition, you can sign up to our website and get loads more free entrepreneur knowledge, as well as get access to Pep Talk and The Purposeful Project podcast direct in your inbox every week.